Hey, this is Steve Balton, and you are here on My Turning Point with special guest Elenium. Really interesting conversation. Great dude. We talk about his superb new album, Fallen Embers, as well as some of the music that he's been a big fan of, from pop punk to dance music, how his taste in dance music have evolved, songwriting, and much more. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we did. Cool, dude. So where's home these days? Where are you based? Well, I'm based in Denver, but I'm in LA right now. Nice. Not bad. What about yourself? Uh, Long Beach, California. Oh, nice. We're, we're close. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny. I'm just looking at the interview we did in 2018 at the Shrine. I know. Nuts, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, all right. So the, the first place I want to start with this then, I looked at where that interview was, where we started. Yep. I got asked, dude, did the family come out to the Vegas show since it was the first show at Allegiant? They did. They did. The family was there. Both sisters, parents, they were, uh, my mom was so pumped. She was just blown away. They, yeah, it was, it was an emotional night for the fam. That's for sure. <laughs> nice. Well, because yeah, I know that you, when we t- did the show, the interview at the shrine, you talked about the fact they were like, what, uh, they had come out to six shows on that tour. And this was yep. the first show in how long? Had you done any post-COVID shows or was this the first one for you? Uh, we did one in Texas uh, that, that was like just a festival that we had booked like two years ago. And then other than that, we had uh, this was like the first like big we're back kind of uh, celebration. Now, wait, is this the first football stadium you've done? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, how to feel? Did I mean it's so funny when you're up there because actually Guns and Roses are doing it soon too. Did you feel like Axl Rose or Mick Jagger or some kind of like you know? <laughs> I definitely didn't. Uh, I, I didn't. I don't really try to equate myself to that level, but it's definitely like. I mean, it was pretty bonkers. It, it's just like the, the the we did these little wristbands that light up that that turned on like right away, and and I'm so glad we did those because it it just made you be able to see like perfectly how much depth there was to like from you to the far people. I mean, it was nuts. It was just massive. feeling. Well, I mean, it's the first football stadium, but I'm sure you've done like, you know, you've done headlining sets at, or like, you know, major sets at some of the big festivals. So yeah, you've had that sure. feeling of like the, you know, when it's you look back. Though. Yeah. It's different when you're doing like when, like I played for four hours and I, and I was playing like my old stuff that I didn't think that many people knew and stuff like that. And people were just like, that many people like like i used to play ashes songs to 200 people not like thirty-five thousand. you know the first the first album so it was cool to kind of see how massive that that whole phase just had gotten it it was really cool well that's so interesting because that kind of ties in with what we were talking about then is sort of you know the turning points as to when you found these levels of success and from 2018, you know, and it's interesting because we spoke about, you know, at that point doing 7,000 in Colorado at Red Rocks, yeah. 6,000, you know, at the shrine. And now we're jumping into doing, you know, fucking 35,000 at yeah. Allegiant, you know? So do you, have you felt sort of turning point moments since then where you realized like, okay, you got to this next level? Um, I, I mean, I think the Ascend tour was kind of my like, Uh, I've always, you know, I'm very uh, goal oriented and I've always like put high goals out there and just like wanted the most, you know, wanted to push myself to do as much as possible. And and I'm very like, not, not stressed about it, but I'm very like goal oriented in that way. So 
I feel like once those big goal, like those huge aspirations were getting checked off during the Ascent Tour, like playing MSG, playing Staples Center, playing all these like crazy, you know, amazing arenas, that was definitely like, holy crap, this is, this is a different level for sure, which, is, which I'm so grateful for, but it's pretty nuts. So that way, let's bring it back to Allegiant. So that was obviously, yeah. that was focused around three separate albums. So did you yep. get to do any stuff from Falling Embers or no? Yeah, so I did uh, I did like 20 minutes of, of a bunch of teasers. I played, uh, how many unreleased songs did I play? Three unreleased songs I played. I had like a whole little mini set where we, it, it, was, it was dope. I'm glad I did that because that wasn't originally in my plan. I was kind of just like, you know, uh, like a week out, I was just like, let's just play some, play some like, because it's always, it's fun to play unreleased music, but you also get a different experience because no one knows the words yet. Everyone's kind of listening intently and you kind of get a different vibe. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad I did it because it's definitely gotten people excited. Well, I was going to say for you as well, it's one of those things, right? Where, you know, music starts to come to life. Oh, and it yeah. takes on a different meaning when you play it in front of an audience and when people can respond to it. So were there tracks off Falling Embers that, you know, even as you tease them, you're like, all right, cool. I didn't know that they were going to respond like this. And, and the songs kind of changed for you a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think playing music live in general is this whole other kind of out of body, like taking it in, in a different light. You're, you're totally right. It's like, it's a, uh, it's a very different experience playing stuff live. Like, I'll listen to music that I'm making really religiously up until it comes out. And then I'll kind of won't listen to it on my own until the show. And then during the show, it just like brings this whole new, new passion. Like it's back, you know, back, back, back like I'm making it again. It's really cool. Um, I'd probably say, I mean, the, the album closer blame myself is like a really personal song and, and a really like, uh, tough kind of subject matter and story with, with that I wrote with one of my good friends and and I feel like when I played that live at that those feelings of like uh, you know it's kind of about loss and kind and about uh, it, it messes me up you know it's loud and, and like you're oh, it feels good though it's interesting you say it messes you up is it a song that's almost tough to play then or is it something because like I go back to right I interviewed Jerry Cantrell years ago from Allison Chains. Love yeah. that dude. We were talking about, he had the song called Hurt a Long Time that was yeah. written about his grandmother. And I was like, it feels like a song that's so personal. It feels like it's going to be tough to play. And he's like, damn dude, you got a good ear. And he was like, it was tough for him to play. Yeah. You know? I mean, I definitely, I definitely get it if you're like singing. I don't know how people do, but like I def, I get, when I play that like stuff that really hits me hard, I feel like it's kind of like a, it, it's a, it's a moment in the set that really puts you in the moment. You know, you are engulfed in like the feelings that you had when you made the song and the feelings that you have uh, that people get to experience it themselves and, and put their own kind of, you know, healing into it. And I, I think that kind of, that moment is, is really just like, it's peaceful and you, and you feel it more than, than you, than I would, you know, just, listening to it in the car or something like that. Uh, it's a weird, it's definitely weird. It's not hard for me to play, but it, it's definitely, it hits, it hits hard. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. I was just going to ask you, does it become a little bit cathartic as well then when you have 35,000 people singing it with you? I mean, I think that's the coolest part is that people put their own stories and they have their own, you know, every song, even if it's something specific 
you know, take Brave Souls, for example, we're writing it about a specific person and a specific loss, but anyone takes that into their own, uh, you know, th their own lives and their own stories. And, and I think that's like the greatest part about music is people can fit themselves into that role and they, they heal because of it. You know, they kind of, they find that peace just by, you know, having it be a type of grieving, you know, something like that. Especially this is fascinating to me. So let's come on to this from the perspective for you as a fan. Are yeah. there the songs that you remember having that experience with going to concerts as a fan where you would be singing and it would become this cathartic thing where it's like they're taking you into music? Then again, you know they're writing about something different. Yeah. But for you, it's taking you into your own personal feelings. That's really interesting. I didn't, I wasn't like, when I first got into electronic music, I think I was more... I was more into like the, the sound design. Like that was the first thing that kind of got me like the sound design and the, and the uh, kind of shows in general. And like this, like, like the craziness of it. I wasn't at like, I feel like as I've been in the scene more, I've kind of pivoted more towards the songs and the, and the writing and the story behind it and stuff like that. I think, I think it's probably a crossover because like when I was in high school and like kind of growing up on music, I really, I still loved like the more emotional side of the things like, especially with the whole like scene pop punk music and all of, a lot of my favorite songs are, are that, you know, telling stories or something like that where, you know, it's kind of emotionally charged. Um, but you know, that's a good question. I feel like I had, I feel like I didn't, I feel like that's kind of the first time I'm experiencing it is playing it. <laughs> it's just funny. No, it makes sense. But it's funny because you say like the pop punk thing and like Blink-182 are friends and you look at songs like, you know, I Miss You or Adam's song. Yeah. You know, obviously those are incredibly emotional oh, songs, but then it's interesting with the emotional because looking back at the interview we did a couple of years ago, you mentioned being really into Bon Iver as well. Oh yeah. So good. I didn't see, I wasn't, I didn't get to experience that stuff live that much though. You know, I wasn't, when I was going to shows in high school and shit, I was focused on other things other than like actually taking it in. You know, I was like partying and just and and a totally different phase of my life. You know, where I, where I didn't really where I didn't really appreciate that. You know, I didn't. I, I loved the songs; they hit me, but I didn't appreciate that. You know, the connection that I could have made if I if I had a little bit more of like a clear mind. I think that's just my own personal problem. <laughs> no, well, the other thing too is obviously as you get older, your tastes change, things evolve, you look at things differently. So yeah. bringing it back to this album, for example, are there things on here? And I talk about this with people all the time. Look, good writing is subconscious. Good yeah. writing dictates itself. And then you look back on it and you're like, oh shit, dude, I didn't even know I was thinking that. So <laughs> are there moments for you on Fallen Embers where you have that feeling where it's like, okay, cool. Like, you know, or maybe like, you know, whether it's the clothes or blamers, whatever it is, where you're like, yeah. I didn't even know that I was thinking that. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I think there's moments here and there, like, like I, it was really, really cool. when I, I mean, the pandemic hit a year ago or like over a year ago now. And I was so drained from touring and I, and I was like pretty exhausted that I was uh, happy to have a little bit of a break. And so I'd say that first four months I went so hard on music, like, like, just endlessly in the studio because previously the, the, you know, the prior two years, every time I worked on music, I had like a two day window, you know, like you're home Tuesday, th Tuesday, Wednesday, you got to finish a song. That's kind of what the mindset that I was in. 
and to not have that and not to feel like anything was over my head, I, I could just like really, you know, just like let it go and, and do whatever I wanted. And, and stuff came together like so easily. Like last night I was listening to Fragments uh, with Natalie Taylor and it's, and, and I just love that song because it, it came together so easily. I have, I, I feel like that was the easiest song on the whole album to, uh, I, I feel like I just, I flowed within like 15 hours. I finished that whole thing, which is short for me. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's an interesting way to look at it though. Well, it's funny though, because I've been doing this book, right? Where I'm talking with all these great artists about like mm-hmm. their iconic songs. Yeah. And it, it's funny how often the greatest songs will come so quick. Like Neil Diamond was telling me about Sweet Caroline. He's like, that song just came from God. Like there are artists will tell you the song comes in like half an hour. So I mean, obviously there's a lot of work that goes into songwriting, but sometimes too. So when you look back on it, it's interesting that you say a fragments that it just came so easily for you. When you look back on it now, does it feel more special to you in a way? And you kind of look at it almost in a way of like, dude, where'd that come from? Yeah. I mean, oh, there's so many times where I'll listen to songs and I'll just be like, how the hell did I do? Like, how did I, how did that happen? And, uh, and the answer is you don't really know. You can't recreate it. You can't, uh, you, you can't, you kind of just have to have to live with being able to just do it occasionally. And sometimes it happens. Sometimes it doesn't. Uh, I think there's a lot of that with like making really intricate drops or something like that, like in the more bass music sound design world of like, how the hell did I make that one song or that one noise? And it's like, you're never going to be able to do it again. And uh, it's kind of this like thing as a producer that you have to really just enjoy because it's, it's, it is special when you're in the moment and you like do something kind of happy accidents happen. And then you re-listen to it like an hour later and you're like, holy shit, this is fire. You know, like you're obsessed with it. It's crazy. It's just the coolest thing about creating. I think it's really cool. No, it's really funny you say that because for this book I'm doing, I was talking with Robbie Krieger from The Doors and we were talking about Light My Fire. He's like, if I knew how I did it, I would have done a million more of them. Yeah, but right. I also think it's a very cool attitude as an artist you have to have to realize that, okay, it's pretty much something beyond you. And instead of being like frustrated that you can't do it again. So was there a point for you where you realized that, okay, appreciate this versus be like, well, shit, that was so good. Why can't I do it again? I mean, I think, I think good things, you know, on ascent, good things fall apart was kind of like, I mean, that was probably the fastest writing session I've been a part of. Um, you know, we were in the studio for like maybe under two hours. It was so fast and that's like unheard of. I feel like everything, you know, you kind of mess with back and forth that, that song that's, I feel like that song was like a holy shit. This, that's never gonna, you know, maybe, I don't know. I love that song so much. So I have a special attachment to it, but I feel like definitely in that realm, it's hard to find a a better crossover vocal, you know, that's like totally pop punk, but also works electronically and is like an anthem. It's so cool. Well, tell me what you were looking for and the people you worked with on this record. Like I know you worked with lights. Who's a friend. I've done stuff with her who I fucking love her. So sick. She's so sick. I mean, lights is a, I've been a fan of lights you know, a long time. I, I, I loved her song with Cascade when I was like just getting to electronic music that no one knows who we are. Oh, I love that song. Um, 
there's a lot of stuff that I love of hers. I think I've just, I've been, a, I think I actually might've tried to like ghost send her that like back when I was just starting out, I think I like randomly emailed her some songs and never got a response. So it was definitely a good moment. <laughs> um, but yeah, everyone was really, really awesome. I'm trying to think <laughs> I'm a huge Sasha Sloan fan right now. So working with her, on you and me was so sick. We got on like a Skype session and, uh, and wrote like the, uh, the, the, the chorus of that song, we ended up rewriting the verse, but, um, that was super easy and she's so talented. Uh, Tori Kelly is so sick. I was like, it's, uh, yeah, that her voice is just absolutely nuts. I like just, wow. Um, but yeah, I mean, everyone was so was so simple. It was kind of weird because I didn't really get to like do anything in person except for uh, for uh, Brave Soul. That was in person. We we wrote that in the studio. But everything was remote and like Skype and Zoom based. And but it worked out. I'm super happy for happy with it. You know, it, well, I mean, look, this <laughs> it's funny because there's a lot of directions to go with that. And one of the things that's interesting about it is you're saying doing all this via Skype and Zoom is that mm -hmm. I talk about this to people all the time, right? You can love someone. You can be the best of friends. It doesn't mean you're going to have chemistry. So with this one, it's extra difficult because you're not actually in a room hanging out with them. So yeah. were there artists that you were particularly pleased to find that like, okay, cool. Like again, whether it's Lights, whether it's Sasha, whether it's Tori, mm -hmm. who I've interviewed as well, you could be like, dude, I'm a huge fan of your voice. You're super cool. But until you actually start vibing together, you just don't know if it's going to work. So were there artists that you were really pleasantly surprised by how well you clicked? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think honestly, vibing on Zoom is even a, a more special, like, <laughs> you know, you can <laughs> vibe in person and like, it's easy, you know, you kind of like get, but like being able to do it successfully on Zoom, I feel like is even harder. So like when I first got on Zoom with Tori, we were just going over like some ad lib shit and it was just, it was automatically like, Oh, that is so sick. You know, it was like very honest and like, it was so, it was so mind, it was easy. It was just as easy as I feel like it would have been that easy in person. I feel like sometimes you kind of just like realize you're both there for each other. We're both, you know, we're both there to make this song and make it the best that, you know, we personally can make it. Um, and she like, like took it over the top with that ending stuff in that song with those ad libs and, oh, they're so good. Um, but yeah, it's kind of moments like that, that you just realize like, th th this is so easy to work with this person. And I'd say it was like that for like everybody, you know, when working with Tom on paper thin, he's like, I'm going to redo this whole verse and intro. And I was like, cool. I totally trust you. Cause you're the dopest artist like ever. <laughs> and so <laughs> And so it was like, so, uh, it, it was very easy to just like, let it go. All right. A couple more questions before we have to wrap up, but oh, see, cool. this is also really interesting to me as well, though, going back to what you were saying earlier about how, when you first got into electronic music, it was more about the party scene and everything. And mm -hmm. like we talked about, as you get older, your tastes change, they evolve, right? So are there songs or artists that you've gone back to, and maybe it's artists that you've gotten to know them personally, or you played festivals with them or something where you go back and you have a different appreciation for the stuff as you're now older. Because I look at this, this happens to me all the time as a fan too. You can know a song your whole life and then you come to a different place in your life and you're like, oh shit, I even know what that meant. Yeah. Oh man. I think uh, that's a really good uh, <clears throat> observation. I feel like, 
You know what song I, when I was like 18 and I was like partying it up before I had gotten sober, I was, uh, the, the first, I think the first, yeah, it was the first electronic show I'd, I'd ever gone to was Tiesto at Cow Palace in uh, San Francisco. And man, it was a, it was a time. It was so sick. And that album, it was the Kaleidoscope tour, that album opener called Kaleidoscope is just like, I re-listened to it actually like probably, you know, a couple times a month. It's so good. It with, with Jonesy, um, who's like the lead singer of Cigarros, who I'm a huge fan of as well. Like that, oh, that album opener is so good still. I, I feel like I can go back to that song right now. And, and there's so many production elements and like, it's a seven minute song that just that goes like to all these places and is so epic. And oh, yeah, that's definitely a song that I didn't take in. Maybe I loved it back in the day. Like it took me away, but now it's like, that's a beautiful freaking song. <laughs> well, that's interesting that as you start looking at like, for example, coming back to the Elysian show and you're going back and revisiting your old material, are there songs of yours that you now have that same experience with? Oh, that's a good or, or uh, I was just going to say that you're hearing from fans already that they're like, oh, okay, I love that song when it came out. But a couple of years later, they hear something totally different in it. Yeah, I mean, I think, well, I think that there's a mixture of that and a mixture of like a lot of my fans get to hear that music for the first time because, you know, they, they, they became fans during Ascend or something like that. And getting to hear an Ashes set, they didn't even know I made these songs, you know, which is really cool. Um, but yeah, I think... I think as a producer, like, and how many times I've played those songs, I naturally have like a, you know, I, I've played them a lot of times. I've listened to them just thousands of hours and there, it takes a certain type of song to still be in love with it, you know? And there's definitely a couple of those. Like I would say, like my shark, my shark remix, whenever I play it of Oh Wonder is like, um, I don't know. To me, that that's just that was such a game changing song for me because I felt not only that I loved the song, but I loved that I could make that. It was my first experience of like I'm actually maybe I'm somewhat talented, and uh, <laughs> and so that was like kind of a, a mixture of com like confidence and and uh, music, like just loving the music that I was creating. I, I was obsessed with that song. I was just dancing by myself in the studio. So pumped. And I remember that feeling for sure. Now this is interesting and it's probably impossible to predict because of course songs change over time, mm -hmm. but are there one or two moments then off fallen embers where you either had that feeling initially or you can, you can like picture ahead to a couple of years where you'll have that same response. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I think that's what I always search for when I make music. Once you get that feeling of like the confidence and the excitement that you created something really catchy or really uh, addictive, you know, to listen to, especially melody wise, when you just like have the right progression with the right melody and you just can't stop listening to it. It's just so exciting. I feel like I got that. I mean, with the fragments, there's like this, this cool, like, mixture of like guitars power chords and this trancey kind of like plucky thing in, in fragments that has this melody that's really addicting to me that kind of reminded me of like 
of focus, you know, there's times where I focus on melodies. There's times where I just focus on the songwriting and stuff like that. But I feel like Fragments has a really sick blend. Um, but I was so excited when I figured, you know, figured all that out. And I still love that melody. Yeah, that's tough, man. I'm trying to think of the other ones right now. Oh, when I made the drop of, of Brave, uh, of, excuse me, Blame Myself, uh, that, that there's like this lead in there. It was one of those happy accidents where I was like, holy shit, this is so sick. And it, and it was, you know, this pitched up vocal that sounds like this, shh, I don't even know what it sounds like. It's just like piercing over the drop. It's cool. There's probably a lot of moments I could go, I could go through a lot of those songs and be like, Oh, that moment was sick when that happened. And, and the majority of them are like, I accidentally did this and it turned out really sick. <laughs> you know? Well, all right. Well, I know we got to wrap up in a second and there are two things I want to ask you, but as a quick aside, and it's so funny. I love the fact that you've actually used the phrase happy accidents because you know, Daniel Lanois, right? Like one of yeah. the greatest producers in the history of the world. Mm -hmm. He's the only other person who's used that exact phrase. And he talked about, so it's funny that you say that. I mean, and this is a guy who's worked with Dylan. I mean, it fucking produced you too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I think if you're a really, uh, if you're an, if you're a sick producer and you and you try to claim there's not happy accidents, I think you're just kidding yourself because everybody knows that it's like, you know, that a lot of skill is comes into it and a lot of knowledge. But man, some of those moments just were just meant to be and happen super randomly. <laughs> well, but that's interesting because I think the skill and the knowledge comes in being mature enough to accept the fact that you don't know and just yeah. take those in and just be yeah. like, all right, cool. Wasn't yeah, let it yeah. go. This is sick. I mean, there's like a, there's kind of a skill in like trying to set up the happy accidents, you know, like last time I tried to do this, this, and it happened. Let's try that again. Maybe sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. All right, cool. Last two questions. I know we got to wrap up, but one, I want to go back to the pop punk thing for a second, just because you know, it is interesting. I go back to an interview I did so many years ago with Fat Boy Slim, who I absolutely love. And we're talking about, right. You know, he came up at a time when electronic music was underground. Then yeah. he was there when it blew up everywhere. And I'm like, all right, dude, now all of a sudden you could, you know, remix the stones if you want, you know? <laughs> and it's like these things that were never an option, all of a sudden yeah. become an option. Now as you're headlining stadiums, are there one or two people from the pop punk world that you would love to work with just as a fan? Um, I definitely, I, I'm doing something with one of, one of my favorite artists right now, which is really exciting. Um, oh man, that's tough though. I, I, I feel like I checked off, like Tom DeLong was, what was up there. I mean, I'd love to do something with Travis for sure. Um, and we've talked about it and, and I'm sure it'll happen one day. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, I think we're, I think we're, I'm kind of doing it because <laughs> I'm so excited to to be there. You know, it's so sick. I will wrap up on Fallen Embers, but when you listen to this album all the way through, what do you take from it? What do you hope others take from it when they hear it all the way through? Um, I mean, I, I think it's just kind of, uh, you know, a, a to me, it's like pieces of healing. You know, all the songs have different, you know, sometimes they make you feel good. Sometimes they make you feel stuff that is, uh, you know, that's really, that's really not fun to think about, but, but necessary for me to like, uh, to feel like good about myself and feel, feel like I'm on the right path, that kind of stuff. You know, I, that's like the whole idea behind Fallen Embers is it's these like things left behind from a Phoenix that heals you, you know? these things that are, you know, uh, I, I love like the fantasy world and that story, but, but real, like 
really the, it's, it's the songs that are just, that are supposed to, you know, let you, let you escape from whatever crazy shit you're in and, and try to, you know, figure your own self out personally. So. Cool. I know we got to wrap up. What do you want to add? I didn't ask you about. Oh, I think I'm good, man. It's good chatting with you again. I hope you're doing well. Things are yeah, good. All is good, dude. It's so funny because during yeah. COVID, like you were saying with the break and everything, all these artists who typically didn't have time to do interviews are like, ah, shit, I got nothing else to do. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, I literally, I did 90 minutes on a Friday night with Stevie Nicks. She's like, I got nothing else to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so nice, too, with, you know, like Zoom being a real thing. It makes it much more easy, like, so easy to just be like, yeah, I got a, I got a bet. It's not easy. It's well, not what's easy. also interesting about it, and, and we'll wrap up with this, it's funny, though, because, like, what you were saying about it, it was a really fascinating thing to see how everybody, artists were like, I really want to be busy. And like use the time to write and do everything. Or I was talking with Shaky Graves, for example, who was like, he's like, I'm never going to have another year off in my life. I don't want to do a damn thing. Yeah. He's like, this will never happen again. Right. Definitely true. I feel like I had a mix. I went super hard on music and then I got into all these hobbies that I didn't even know I had for a while. (laughs) All right. Well, last. All right. So what was the favorite hobby to come out of COVID? Oh, man. I mean, I started golfing a ton. Snowmobiling, for sure. Snowmobiling is the best thing ever. So fun. Cool. <laughs> All right, dude. Good catching up with you. Uh, what's the next LA show? I don't know right now. We uh, honestly, things are kind of messed up because we're we have two thousand nine or two thousand twenty shows right now, and we're we're, we're scheduling to tour though for the fall and stuff like that. So I'll be here. I'll be around. Cool. I'll see you in LA soon. Thanks, Steve. Hey, this is Steve Balton. You've been listening to My Turning Point with Alenium. In New Hampshire, all roads lead to adventure. The Granite State isn't only home to New England's tallest peaks. You'll also find epic coastal views and charming towns perfect to explore on a summer trip. Whether you're seeking the adrenaline rush that comes from kayaking rapids or the peaceful chill that comes from enjoying a cocktail on the porch of a classic B&B, there's something for everyone in New Hampshire. For more summer inspiration, go to visitnh.gov. That's visitnh.gov. Discover your new. It used to be hard to find the exact auto parts you needed, and that meant spending a lot of time at swap meets. It's a different game now, when you can order exactly what you need from eBay Motors. They have 122 million parts, so you can always find the right fitment. Spend less time searching and more time building with the eBay Motors app, or visit ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. 
and why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 